and welcome to the Encounter Mercy podcast. I'm Vince Dragone, and joining me, Father Andy Boyd. How's it going, Father? Good in you, Vince. Doing well. Doing well. Um, we're uh, looks like we're wrapping up summer. Hopefully, here we've had some pretty mild days. I've, I've I'm, been enjoying it. Yeah, I've, I've seen some leaves changing too. So. <laughs> Yeah, the tree outside my bedroom window has already gone from green to yellow, so I expect the leaves to fall here soon. But it's one of the first to get leaves, and it's always one of the first to lose its leaves. Uh, I just love this time of year. I was actually just looking up the peak times for colors in our area of Pennsylvania, and it looks like the week of October, I think 19th is what it was, was was the absolute peak. But all the weeks leading up to it is just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah, that's right, because you just started a uh, blog sort of for all of your photography. Oh, yeah, I just started a website, uh, Vincent Dragone, that's dragon with an E at the end, dot com. So vincentdragone.com. And uh, I'm just uploading uh, the images that I like to look at the best. And uh, not and really- some we've stolen and used on our website. What's that? Some we stole oh, and used yeah. on our website. We've taken a couple that don't make a whole lot of sense, contextual sense for our website, but that's fine. I got to get into a nice looking church and not some of these modern looking churches to to really uh, get the uh, creative juices flowing. If you've never been in St. Joseph's Bread of Life over on uh, over by St. Vincent Hospital, that's where you want to go. All right. You have to get me in. Oh, that's get, easy. Get me in when there's nobody there. That part's not so easy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. They have a, a adoration chapel 24-7, right? That's another place. If you can get in there um, and the person that has the hour for adoration doesn't mind, taking awesome pictures in there is another wonderful thing because it's a beautiful chapel. And um, hopefully, hopefully, once this COVID stuff is over, the Divine Mercy Encounter, which we have no connection to, just want to reiterate that, we have no connection to other than the fact that, um, you know, I'm a member of the community, uh, Divine Mercy Encounter Retreat happens there. Um, but it's probably one of the most beautiful churches in our diocese. I, I've actually never been there. I've driven past it, it probably a hundred thousand times, but uh, never actually went inside. It is truly uh, a work of art. Um, the colors are vivid. It has the beautiful um, semi-Gothic structure. Uh, it, it actually is one of my favorite churches in our diocese. So it is a beautiful, beautiful structure to behold. Well, I'd love to photograph it. Um, you know, I've always wanted to use uh, my photography to to please God. And I, I feel like I do that. I, I try to do that right now um, by photographing landscapes and his, his creation, really. But I would really like to photograph churches. And that's one thing I was really trying to get into. And then, of course, COVID. So... Um, things are picking back up now. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be able to do that here soon. That'd be good. And then if there's any big events and churches, you know, uh, I'll make sure to call you first for photography because uh, that is one thing that I always want are ends up, you know, it ends up being like things like candid shots at mass that I'm trying to use for certain things that is impossible to find because no one thinks to take pictures of the congregation during a mass. That's true. Um, yeah. Like you'll, you'll see pictures of the priest celebrating mass, but none of the congregation, sometimes you want those, you know, candid shots. And then of course, good pictures of the elevations that, you know, that those are always difficult to find. Um, especially when I have a picture in my mind that I know I see when I'm holding up the Eucharist, but just can't seem to get a picture that does it justice. Yeah. We'll, we'll work on something. Um, we got to do something with that. Speaking of, shots of the congregation. The only time I think I really ever seen that is in wedding photography. Yeah. That that's pretty much it. If you, if you have a wedding and the photographer is at the front taking pictures before the bride walks down the aisle, just, I mean, that's really the only time, you know, there's some great pictures um, that would be really awesome to get. And of course we'd have to talk with the people in the pictures either before or after, but someone who is deep in prayer would always be a good picture to have in the back pocket. So someone who's kneeling down in prayer or um, standing in prayer during adoration, um, this contemporary adoration when people are praying in the spirit with their hands raised high, things like that. I mean, you never know when you're going to need one of those pictures. And a lot of the times they turn out really awesome. Well, wouldn't you know, I, I came across the perfect opportunity to do that except I didn't have my camera on me. It was at uh, St. George during adoration one time. And uh, 
and the you, the priest was kneeling at the front of the altar with his arms raised, and everyone else was in, in the pews kneeling, praying. It just looked fantastic. Yeah. And I didn't have my camera. I'm like, oh no! And we were just leaving because my kids were starting to act up, and so Next I just time. took my I took my phone out and I just snapped a picture. I mean, it's a phone picture, but it wasn't really all that great. But it's like, oh man, I wish I had my camera on me. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a those are good moments. Those are good moments to be able to try to capture. But yeah, we'll get there. But anyhow, um, what's anything new with you? You know, this week probably is a very chaotic week, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to most of it. It's just it's it's been a very busy week. You know, on on uh, Sunday having the normal weekend masses, and then, um, you know, not looking for sympathy here, but just kind of uh, telling you a little bit about my week and our listeners a little bit about you know the the life of a priest, the week of a priest. Um, Sunday, I had all the parish masses for the weekend, COVID and all. And then, um, Sunday afternoon, I get a phone call that, um, a cousin of mine passed away. So, um, I had to plan that funeral. But then on Monday morning, I had a funeral for another parishioner. Um, today, uh, our file server crashed. And I mean, like it, it's gone. It's gone. There is no bringing it back. I'm trying to, with the best of my ability, pull out the old hard drives and take as much of the information off of it as possible. But I'm afraid we lost a lot of it. So I spent the entire day today after celebrating mass trying to, um, you know, piece together money so we can buy a new server to be able to keep our computers up and running, which manages the whole parish. And then, um, you know, tomorrow, of course, I have mass, but tomorrow... I have to get ready because um, Friday is that funeral for a cousin of mine. And I, and then as soon as that's over, as soon as that's over, I have to drive up to Rochester for a classmate of mine, uh, Dan Boozes' wedding on Saturday. So Friday night is a rehearsal dinner. Even during COVID, we're still having the rehearsal and the dinner. And then Saturday, we have the mass um, for the uh, wedding. Um, and then on Sunday, of course I have mass. I have to help. I have to celebrate mass for Sunday. Um, just because the laity, you know, don't have the obligation to mass. I'm the priest. It can kind of be whenever and wherever I can. So Sunday I have mass, but I'm probably going to be celebrating that with the family, um, of the wedding couple at their house. And then driving back to Erie Sunday afternoon, um, to start the week all over again next week. So, you know, it's just been a little bit of chaos, but it's, it's given, yeah, that's a pretty good rundown of a basic week for me. Um, the calamities and all, you know, you know, what? At, least, at least you're not bored. At least you're not bored. No, you not got, anymore. No. You got stuff to do. So no, that's good. It, it seems to be like, uh, you know, one minute you're, you've got, the whole world, you have the whole world that you have to get taken care of in 30 seconds or less. And then you go for like weeks on end where you're like, well, well now what do I do? Yeah. So I want to get to the main topic now because we've been, yeah. we've been uh, talking back and forth here for good, good old and almost nine minutes. Um, but what we want to talk about something that, People dance around. And as you can tell, I'm kind of dancing around the subject right now because it's a little uncomfortable and no one ever really wants to talk about it. And it's not politics. <laughs> That's one. No, not yet. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's death and being yeah. comfortable with, we're going to, we're all going to die one day. There's no one here uh, that's listening to this. That's going to live forever. Right. And uh, at some point or another, we have to reconcile ourselves with the fact that, um, we're, we're going to die and there's something that's going to happen afterwards. And we're not sure. And, and here's the thing that's always kind of got me was why are people afraid of death? If you live a good life and you're, uh, you go to confession, you pray, you do all the things that you're supposed to do. Why are we still afraid to die. And, and I never really understood that. Like if, if God promises us heaven, if we do everything that he asks, then, then why not be comfortable with it? Why not die right now? Why not volunteer to die? Why not martyr or try to martyr ourselves uh, at any given uh, time? 
so that we can go to heaven and not be here where, where all this uh, pain and suffering is. And yet we are, are so, every time we think about death, we try to um, make it look like it's, uh, we try to, we try to hide it. We try to hide it by having uh, the viewings and we try to make sure the, 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 the deceased person's body has makeup and, and everything. We, we, we try to, um, we try not to talk about it. I mean, that's the biggest thing. We just try not to talk about it. And why is that? I've always wondered. Yeah. You know, when we were trying to come up with topics, um, this, this kind of struck me, you know, I, we were chatting about this as I was, uh, it was Monday. I had a funeral and then Tuesday we were chatting more and, uh, it kind of struck me as I was driving around. I was thinking about, you know, this funeral, the funerals that I have this week and then the wedding I have on Saturday. So, you know, you go from, and especially the wedding I have Saturday with the funeral on Friday, like I have to go within about five hours time from mourning with my family over a cousin who has passed unexpectedly to, rejoicing in this beautiful marriage. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, it's just not possible to switch back and forth that easily. And um, the reason why this topic kind of came up to me was I was thinking about, you know, in the marriage ceremony, you have the consent, right? And in the consent, the the one that is normally used in, in Catholic marriages is kind of in my opinion, watered down, but in the same breath, I, I like it better than the other one because there's there's something about both of them that I like. But for instance, in the consent at marriage, the current form is the bridegroom says to the bride, I, bridegroom, take you, bride, to be my wife. I promise to be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to love you and to honor you all the days of my life. Pretty. It's just so nice, right? Just so great. But this other, the second option, the following alternative form may be used. And this one, I think, resonates a little bit more with people because it's it's the one that you're going to hear phrases in it that um, all the movies want, right? So the um, bridegroom says to the bride in this second form, I, bridegroom, take you, bride, to be my lawful wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health to love and to cherish until death do us part. And that's kind of what my plan was is to title these next two episodes, little spoiler for everybody that's listening is till death do us part. So this first one specifically till death, and we're talking about death because it's a, it's a hand in hand relationship, death and marriage. And I think that the, only, the a way to unlock the meaning of death is to unlock the meaning of marriage and then for marriage to unlock the meaning of death. Because, you know, they're going to speak to each other in so many ways. And now this is coming from a celibate man who is not married to a human, but married to the church. So, you know, I'm going to rely a lot on my ideas and what I've been thinking about and praying about on you, Vince, because you have experienced marriage and, you know, with your kids and your wife and the whole family unit there, it's, it's going to be rather important. But that's what I was thinking about with the whole death do us part because it sneaks its way in to a very happy occasion, right? And like you said, we don't want to talk about it. And that's so true. We don't want to talk about death. But death sneaks its way into a very happy occasion, and yet it's just glossed over, right? We didn't even talk about it in the first form of the vows. All the days of my life doesn't say it. It doesn't hit home. It's just, it's there, but it's not really said. But in this second option, until death do us part, you know, how can how can such a sad thing in the eyes of the world seep its way into some such a glorious occasion in the eyes of the world? Right. So I think that I kind of, I think they feed into each other. What do you think? Yeah. Especially that, um, you know, uh, being a married man, I'm always afraid my wife's going to kill me if I mess up, but well, there's that (laughs) just kidding, honey, just kidding. Um, but yeah. And, and I think that that really sets up and this probably will be talked about more in our, our next episode is just the, the importance of marriage. Um, and, you think about until death do us part. I mean, that could be tomorrow or that could be 50 years, 60 years from, from then on, you know, from now. Um, but 
it just goes to show how important marriage is. And, and that we have to think, okay, I'm, you know, do I really want to be with this person for the next however long, however long I live? I mean, it, we could be driving to the reception and we both die and that happens. Yeah. Um, or we could be a hundred years old in a nursing home together um, and it happens. So I, I, it's very important to understand that on the, on the side of marriage that, Hey, this isn't just, eh, when I'm bored, I'm going to be done. And that's not the main topic today, but I want to talk about that more, um, next time around. But, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's funny how, even though we don't want to talk about it, it, it sneaks into such a happy occasion. And, and yet why are we so afraid? And, and, and I think if I had to venture a guess, and I, my wife is terrified of death. Uh, and I'm not saying that this next statement does not mean that this is her. Um, but I, th- I think one of the reasons why we're afraid to talk about it, we're afraid to die, is that as humans, as fallen humans, um, we have a lot of pride. And we don't want to, death, death wins at the end of the day. And we don't want that. We want to always be here. We want all of our things we want to be in control of everything around us, and yet we are not in control of death. And it may sneak up on you uh, as a complete surprise. It could be something that maybe you're diagnosed with a terminal illness illness that slowly takes you there. But either way, you're not in control. And I think that is the scariest part, is just not being in control. Um, what do you think of that? The, what What came to mind is... Um, I, I'm trying to remember this phrase that I uh, we've all heard before. And I think it goes something along the lines of with uh, the man with the most toys wins. Yeah, I've heard something that. to that effect. And and what well, the reason I was thinking about that is, um, you know, you're right with the whole idea that we want more, we want more, you know. So we're taking in, taking in. But the problem is, is that sooner or later, all this stuff that's sitting around me. You know, there's some nice things sitting around me. I have some really nice bookcases that I've been able to acquire over the years with some really good books in them. And I have a really nice computer sitting in front of me. And I have a wonderful dog sitting next to me. And um, who actually, you might hear him um, woof a little. He's sleeping because he's really tired. And, uh, you know, he's got the little paws going. Anyway, lovely dog. But he's going to die too. But I'm going to die. And I don't want to lose all my stuff. So the world says the one with the most toys wins. And that's so not true. And so that loss, that loss, you're absolutely right. We don't want to talk about that loss because if we lose something, then we failed. And we know that's not true, right? We know as a Christian, I should say, like the world says otherwise. And the other thing I would say that kind of agrees, that talks more into this is we kind of get lulled into thinking that death doesn't exist because it's only for the old and it's only for very old people. Um, when young people die or middle-aged people die, um, it's a crisis and a tragedy. Absolutely, it's a crisis and a tragedy. But in the same breath, old older people are dying every single day, right? Older people are dying every single day and people are dying from addictions and people are dying from, you name it, every single day. But we still don't want to talk about it. We still want to try to hide from it because we think that it's never going to happen. We don't have to. We don't have to talk about it. We can put it off until we absolutely have to talk about it. And then when we do, if we've never had the conversation or said the four little word of death, then we become extremely uncomfortable with it. And it's really kind of a sad situation. And one of the experiences I I have relished and cherished the most of my priesthood is being at the bedside of someone who is dying and who dies while I'm there. And it's honestly one of the most beautiful experiences I've had. So when we don't talk about death, not only does it become more difficult for us as we are dying, it also, if we're on the other side and uncomfortable with death, it's going to be really difficult for the person that is dying before us. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think another reason why we're so uncomfortable with it, and I know keep dragging this on is, um, when you think of someone dying, you think of someone dying alone, whether right. the family's around or not, they're the only ones dying. Right. And you think of pain and nobody right. likes pain, especially me. I'm a wimp when it comes to pain. Um, 
and I think that's another reason why as well. And, yeah. uh, and, and just real quick, I, I just thought of this as we were talking about it. And since it's such like a, it seems like a taboo subject and it really shouldn't be, but, uh, I'd like, you know, everyone to, to go on YouTube and go to the channel, ask a mortician. And, uh, it's actually a really good YouTube channel. And, um, this, I forget the name of the woman who, um, who is the the host of the show, uh, but she's a mortician, obviously by the name, and uh, she's a little quirky, but she always treats uh, Catholics like really well because she she talks about um, sometimes the history of funerals, the history of certain things. Sometimes the Catholic Church comes up in it, and um, I don't I don't think she's Catholic. Uh, I don't even know if she's Christian. I'm not even really sure, but she always treats the Catholic Church really well when it comes up. Um, but she tries to normalize death, I guess normalize. I don't, I don't know what the right word is for it, but, uh, she wants you to start thinking about, okay, you're going to die one day. Here's some of the, the weird, gross details, uh, that, uh, that go along with that. And here's different ways you could do your funeral and stuff like that. But it's it's actually a a really good, uh, secular YouTube channel on, uh, uh, on death and it's called ask a mortician. So check that out when you get a chance. That is so true. You know, I, I have a few mortician friends um, that I have chatted with about this. Many of the morticians that I work with in the parish, you know, they're very open and very wonderful to chat with. Um, they t- have told me everything about death and I think it's fascinating. I mean, all right, so I'm a little kooky. I'm a little strange. I know that everybody knows that, but I don't, I think it's fascinating to hear about those kinds of things. Um, Granted, I grew up with a mother that uh, talked about birth at the dining room table. So the beginning of life doesn't surprise me and all the craziness that goes through it, you know, um, having seen a woman give birth, not by on purpose, but entirely on accident. That's a whole nother story for another day. <laughs> it's not as terrifying as some people make it out to be. Um, and on top of that, seeing someone die and what happens after death, it really isn't that scary. Especially, especially if we actually have a faith in life after death. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think we need to really pay attention to that because we are reminded over and over again what it means to die through paying attention to uh, Christ. And he says to us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one shall come to the Father except through him. We hear that in John 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 6. And the whole point is that if we truly believe that we have salvation after death, then we should have no fear of death. We really shouldn't. We really shouldn't. Because when we die, when we believe uh, believing in Christ and we are have you know freely chosen to accept mercy and salvation, we enter heaven. Right, so it might be some time in purgatory or purgation. We're not here to talk about that. We've already talked about purgatory, death, the you know the last things. Um, but uh, you know, this is we're really talking now about death and coming to um, terms with the fact that we are not here forever, and so we have to choose salvation, right? And our, we choose salvation by choosing Christ, by turning to Christ and following Him. For we're told in First Timothy. Uh, you know, all people that desire to be saved shall enter salvation. That is our salvation. That is our hope is that we shall receive salvation because of Christ's death upon the cross. So that doesn't mean we can just be assumed into heaven. We're not all perfect like that. Go ahead. uh, uh, This reminds me of uh, the Latin phrase, memento mori. Exactly. Remember your death. And and we should always be, and by remember your death means prepare yourself for your death. You're going to die. And I think just being a Christian is already a really good step in that. Because if you do everything that you're supposed to do, you are, as a Christian, preparing for your death. It, you know, we could, you know, if, if you weren't preparing for your death, then you don't have to go to confession because oh, I'll die someday later down the line. But, uh, but right now I'm going to live my life the way I want to. Well, like we said before, you could die five, five minutes from now. It doesn't really matter. But if you're always preparing for your death, you're remembering your death. You're going to do things differently. If you're always going to, re- if, if, if you know that you're going to die and you never know when it's going to happen, you're going to do things differently than if you knew that, okay, if someone were to tell you, so a time traveler came back in time and said, hey, 
uh, I know when you're going to die, you're going to be 95 years old alone in a nursing home. So you might want to do whatever it is that you want to do now and get it out of your system because you're going to die a terrible, slow, lonely death. So do whatever it is you want. So if you were to hear that, then, then sure. Uh, I'm going to go do all the things that may be bad for me or whatever it is, because yeah, I got forever to repent for it. Uh, you know, the next 60 years or whatever. Um, whereas, you know, if you're any other person like you or an I, um, we don't know when that time's going to happen. So we should always be preparing for that time so that we, uh, don't have mortal sin on our hearts and that we're always ready to enter the kingdom of heaven. If that time, um, comes upon us. One of the things that I know from my, um, very limited study of it, but thank God I had this was my time in seminary at St. Vincent's in Latrobe, um, a Benedictine monastery and seminary. And in chapter four of St. Benedict's rule, um, he reminds the monks to keep, remember to keep death before your eyes daily. And, you know, that can be for people outside of the monastery and uh, without understanding of St. Benedict's rule. It can be seeming very strange. But um, reading from uh, an article that a Benedictine monk wrote, um, he's told this really good story I really liked. And I, uh, I think it will kind of depict for us um, something that we're kind of missing. And it's something, it's a story that Benedict wrote down and told his monks that he had heard. Uh, news spread that an elder father lay dying in the desert of Skeet. The brothers came and stood around his deathbed, clothed him and began to cry. But he opened his eyes and laughed. And he laughed again. And then again, the surprised brothers asked him, tell us father, why do you laugh while we cry? He spoke, I laughed at first because you feared death. Then I laughed because you are not ready. A third time I laughed because I'm going from hard work to enter my rest and you're crying about that. He then closed his eyes and died. You know, it, it, what a what a interesting little story, but it's so true because we cry because we feel that we're going to lose someone. And absolutely, we're, you know, we're lo- is, if we are on the other side now of watching someone die, um, we're going to be losing someone that we most likely love and adore and want to keep around. Sure, we think of all the temporal things. Absolutely, and we're going to miss but that. This this this, uh, uh, this man, this father, tells his brothers that he's going to go to eternal rest, and what a great joy it is! What a great joy it is to be able to have that rest. And so we have to, sadly, keep death before our eyes, but that's a sadly only in the sense that it was going to hurt more people around us when we die than it is to us ourselves. And so first off, coming to terms with that allows us to come to terms with other people who die around us. It's not going to make it easier. There's still going to be mourning. There's still going to be a sadness. But even in our sadness, there can be a great joy, a great rejoicing. We hear in uh, St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians a little bit, um, he, Paul has some advice to virgins and widows. Um, and he says, I tell you, my brothers, time is running out. From now on, let those having wives act as not having them. Those weeping is not weeping. Those rejoicing is not rejoicing. Those buying is not owning. Those using the world is not full, using it fully. For the world in its present form is passing away. Now, a little bit to think about. Paul is, of course, one of the early church writers as one of the apostles. And um, Paul is writing to a group of people who believe that Christ is on his way back. And not just on his way back soon, but like imminently. Like you're waiting at the death, uh, the door side of heaven, waiting for Christ to come and open it. Well, we know 2,000 some years later that he, he wasn't really kind of waiting there. And so... Paul is writing to the, his brothers and sisters saying, you know, get ready. And he says, I should like you to be free of anxieties. An unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is anxious about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And he is divided. 
An unmarried woman or a virgin is anxious about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy in both body and spirit. A married woman, on the other hand, is anxious about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm telling you this for your own benefit, not to impose restraint upon you, but for the sake of propriety and adherence to the Lord without distraction. And this, I think, feeds into the topic of till death do us part on multiple levels. And we'll get into the married marriage side of it for next week. But this this feeling of if you are truly focused on the Lord, if you are able to put everything before the Lord, there will be no anxiety about death. You will be free of anxiety. Uh, you'll be free of anxiety about death if you can put everything before the Lord. And so, when it comes to dying, when it comes to going to a new state of life, the anxiety that's there will be lessened, if not removed. And death does cause anxiety because, as although we know what happens after death because of our faith, it remains just that—a faith. And it doesn't become something, it doesn't uh, change from faith to knowledge until you actually experience it. And so we're going to remain nervous and we're going to remain anxious about death until we actually encounter it. And we don't have to encounter it firsthand when we die to be able truly to encounter it in a way that will change us. And that's really what my hope is in this talking about death. Um, is that we can try at some point in our lives, in our daily lives, that in death, life is changed and not ended and really truly come to a greater understanding of death so it doesn't become um, something that is scary or something that we you know, whisper about. So, Father, what are some things we can do to prepare for for death right now as Catholic Christians. Absolutely. One of the um, seven corporal works of mercy is burying the dead. So that, and, and also the others are, you know, a few others are uh, visiting the sick and imprisoned and, and um, uh, you know, you can get all seven. I don't have them in front of me and I'm not going to be good at remembering now that I've been put on the spot by myself. But, the key here is burying the dead and visiting the sick and dying. I, you know, I want to add that in there. It's not just the sick. We're also talking about the sick and those who are about to die. Is taking that opportunity to get out of yourself and read good scripture on death and read good books on death from a Catholic perspective. That's going to be the first step. But I think the next thing is, is, don't be afraid after COVID to go and visit the hospital, visit the sick, offer in your parish to go and visit the sick, um, visit the homebound. Um, you know, there are some wonderful people that I have met in my time of visiting the sick and the homebound. Um, and I just, I, there's some wonderful people out there that can't come out anymore because of illness or because of their infirmities but there's, they're awesome people to get to know, right? Um, and so that is one way to go and to experience someone who is sick or dying. So when you mentioned burying the dead as part of the corporal works of mercy, what is it about burying the dead that makes it that? Is it the uh, praying for their souls that they may enter heaven? Or is it just helping bury their body? What is it that, that makes it that? Well, it's a both and. So okay. first, as you said, praying for the soul. You know, um, one of the most important things that we can do for our deceased loved ones, as well as the people who don't have anybody to pray for them. You know, often you'll hear in the petitions, uh, depending on who your priest is, but the priest will say for all the holy souls in purgatory and for those who have no one to pray for them. So when we die, we don't know where we're going to go right away, right? In the end, we pray that it's either, either heaven or hell. It's either, it will what? be heaven. We pray that, I know. Yeah, we don't want to pray that anybody's going to hell. That's not what I meant to say. But we pray that we will end up in heaven. Um, we pray that we don't end up in hell. Those are the only two options at the end of time, heaven or hell. There's no middle ground. There's nothing else. But in the meantime, until the end of time, which, you know, I'm 
feeling my pulse and yeah, my heart's still beating. The world hasn't ended yet. Um, Trump is still president and the world's still not burning down. Um, we're undergoing an election and the world's still here. We haven't exploded yet. So at the moment of recording this, the world's not ended. So that means that there is still a purgatory. So there are souls that we have talked about in our episode on the last things um, about purgatory. So there's souls there that need prayers for. That's the first thing about burying the dead, praying for the souls of the dead and praying for the souls of the dead at a funeral mass. That's key. Praying for the souls of the dead at a funeral mass and then paying, and it's not, and this sounds bad, but offering masses for the deceased and going to the church and giving a donation to the church for a mass to be said for your deceased relatives and friends and the intention of their souls, right? So that's key. If anybody's listening out there and thinks it's a dumb practice that we pray for the dead, uh, I want you to go and actually do some study on it because it's important. It's important. And I don't know about you, but someday I'm going to be dead, long gone. And if I am a soul forgotten in purgatory, I hope to God someone says a mass for the forgotten souls in purgatory because, you know, I'm going to guarantee that I'm going to be stuck there for a while. So, you know, we just, I I pray that someone remembers me in one of those masses. So first off, I'll remember you, Father Andy. That's good. Cause I'm pro uh, with my excess weight, I'm probably going to be the first to go in any event. Praying for the souls is key. That's, that's, that's the first part of that. But then it's not just praying for the souls. It's about respecting the dead and not just respecting them as, Oh yes, yes. We don't speak bad about them. No, no, no. Respect for their bodies and respect for their bodies in the fact that it carried a soul. I think that's we very important. Catholics yes. protect the body. Yes. So when we are when we're dealing with um, burying the dead, it's it does actually mean making sure that the body is buried or entombed, and that means a lot because often in this day and age, people will keep grandma on their uh, mantle in their living room for years in that urn. And that, first off, is creepy. I don't know about you, but I find that creepy. Hey, I uh, keep my dog like that, all right? Oh, that's still creepy. I mean, come on. Put <laughs> him is. in the ground. No, ashes, no. ashes, <laughs> dust to dust. I th- Put that dog back in the rust. Anyway, um, <laughs> that was bad. That we'll, wasn't a very we'll eventually be putting him in the ground. <laughs> we were just yeah. deciding whether or not we're going to stay where we're at. <laughs> not. It's not. It's not. It's not the current dog. No. No, 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 no. The first dog we had, oh. he died oh. of a freak accident. Oh, that's right. Anyway, um, so, but we're not talking about dogs when we're talking about burying the dead. We're talking about um, our loved ones and, and human beings. Very important the because there are a lot of people right now that think their dogs are their children. But right. that's, that's a topic for another day. Yeah, 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 That that is so true. So when we're talking about burying the dead, the body, even if it's cremated, which we're going to get into a funeral liturgy here in a minute, just because that's kind of, at the end of our conversation, I want to talk about a funeral liturgy so people can actually get some ideas on what to be thinking about. The body, even if it's cremated, needs to either be buried in the ground or put into some sort of um, columbarium or mausoleum. Okay? I'm saying it here, 100%. Hand on the Bible, I am telling you now, the Catholic Church teaches you must bury the body. You're not to split up the ashes. You're not to make those really creepy necklaces. You're not to make rosaries. You're not to um, uh, leave grandma sitting on your mantle. You're not to scatter. You're not to do anything with the ashes except for keep them intact and bury them or place them in a mausoleum. Well, but Father, I want to bury Grandma and Grandpa together, and we're going to mix their ashes together. No, as I shudder for all those who can't see me. No, please, God, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. No. Respect for the body, right? We have respect for the body when we're living. We need to have respect for the body when we're deceased. 
And and one of the most disgusting things I have ever seen and have ever heard about is what happens to aborted babies and their bodies. And there's something evil about Planned Parenthood. And there's something evil about everything that happens near those abortion centers. Let's just call it what they are. They're abortion centers. They're death centers. And it's there's something evil there. And if you have ever gone to pray outside of one or been around one, you know there's evil there. In, out, and around that place. And so there is to be respect for the body because the body isn't just something thrown away because it is the vessel that has carried a human life for all eternity and and will carry it forever. Even after our death, our body still holds something of importance. So we keep the body intact. We bury the body. We place the body away. And it's not that it's to be placed away in a play, uh, an idea of set it and forget it and walk away from it. We have a defined place where we as a community can come together and mourn together and pray together and laugh together and cry together and have this communal action. It's not something that is um, a singular event for one person. No, no. In the faith of the church, in every celebration of the dead, we understand that it's not just a uh, a funeral and understanding of a uh, death. It's not just one person that suffers. For if one member of uh, one member suffers in the body of Christ, which is the church, all members suffer with that member. We hear that from St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. And so that's the important part. For this reason, those who are baptized into Christ and nourished at, uh, at the same table of the Lord are responsible for one another. When Christians are sick, their brothers and sisters share in a ministry of mutual charity and do all they can in helping the sick return to health by showing love for the sick and by celebrating the sacraments with them. So too, when a member of Christ's body uh, dies, the faithful are called to a special ministry of consolation to those who have suffered the loss of whom they love. And Christian consolation is rooted in the hope that comes from the faith in the saving death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian hope faces the reality of death and the anguish of grief that trusts confidently that the power of sin and death has been vanquished by the risen Lord. And so this is not just a experience that one person has on their own, we come together. And so that's what the idea of the corporal work of mercy, specifically burying the dead. It's not just praying for their soul. It's joining together in prayer at the funeral, in consolation of the grieving, and in the actual practice of burying the body and placing that person to their final resting place. So go to a funeral. Right now, I know it's difficult. So if you're listening to this in 2020 um, and you're thinking, well, Father, I can't go to the funeral. It's only for the family. Yeah, yeah, you're true. It's true. You know, it's kind of more difficult now. But when this is all over, go to a funeral. Be there for the one who maybe only has one or two people at their funeral. I've been the priest at a funeral like that. It was beautiful but it's weird. So go to someone's funeral that will only have one or two people. Offer your services to the church to be a part of the funeral luncheon groups, if you can. Pray for the deceased and pray for those who have died, specifically those who have died recently too, as their mind is still in our midst, their their name is still in our midst. So that's one way to understand burying the dead. I also think that it, cemeteries aren't this creepy place where you just go visit and put flowers. My wife, which she loves to do, and I applaud her for this because I, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of walking around cemeteries, but she is. She absolutely loves it. And it's really funny because she's terrified of death, but she loves cemeteries. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, go around and find 
find a name, start praying for the names that you see as you pass by. Um, that's a, that's a good way to pray for those in purgatory, whether they're in purgatory or not anymore, doesn't matter. We can still pray for them. Um, because there's a chance that they, they might be. And so there's no harm in praying for them if they're already in heaven. Yeah, absolutely. And if they're in heaven and you pray to them, they can redirect those prayers, uh, pray for them. I should say those prayers can be redirected to the father to be used for whoever might need it. Right. So it's not just, um, for, you know, uh, we pray that, uh, Mrs. Smith gets out of purgatory. Okay. Mrs. Smith's now in heaven. Now God's going to use those prayers in a different way. You know, he'll use the prayers however he wants. And so it never hurts to pray, especially for our deceased. So now Vince, if you know someone that's dying, what should you do? as a good Catholic man. I feel like you're setting me up for something. You always are well, when you ask me these questions. It, it, it's, it's very, it's very simple. Am I calling a priest? Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, first, let me say that, um, let the family call the priest. Now, if you have a very good friend that is dying and you want a priest to come visit, make sure you talk it over with the family first, right? Uh, I've had a few times that I've been called to go visit the person and and they don't want a priest. And not only do they not want a priest, the family doesn't want a priest. And that kind of makes it really awkward, right? And and can become very uncomfortable. Here's the thing. Here's the thing though. And I, I am not the godfather of anyone yet. Maybe I will be one day. Um, But I will make sure that if I'm ever asked that the parents know that, um, you're you might be getting in over your head because I'm not going to be the godfather that just, Oh, here's, here's a hundred dollar bill for your, your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, if, if I see that you're not raising your child in the faith, I'm going to intervene. And Good. if I see if there's a, you know, if for whatever reason this child is dying before I am yeah. and the parents aren't calling a priest, I am. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you yeah. should too. I mean, anyone should too. Uh, if, yeah, absolutely. And if you if you're living out your faith, which is totally what you're saying, if you're living out your faith, um, this isn't going to be a problem. Uh, it, it often becomes a problem when it's the friend of a friend that is calling for the priest. I've had that happen a few times, and it's it's awful strange. But let's say you are with someone who is dying, and uh, Catholic or not, I don't care, and they're willing to have a priest come. You call the priest. Call us. Calls. Calls. Um, because you never know, someone might be having a deathbed conversion, which is awesome. You know, I have never been able to be at the side of that other than for when someone has come back to the church, um, you know, and received uh, the other sacraments. Um, so, but the point is, is that if if you're, if you know someone that's dying and it's someone that, you know, you can do this for, call your priest, call your priest, even if they're not dying actively, even if, you know, my the one place that I'm always called to is the hospice home. And I say to the families, I say this all the time is please don't wait until someone has taken their last breath to call me. If they're in a hospice home, call me when they first get there. Call me when you're on your way to there yeah, because hospice, usually that you have some time. Yeah. So like when I worked for the fire department and the ambulance service, if we got a call for a car accident or anything, we dispatch probably more vehicles than we need going to the scene. And if need be, we'll turn them away. I feel yeah. like it's the same with a priest. Hey, all right. Uh, I think we need a priest. Okay. turns out maybe we don't, or the family doesn't want them. We can always turn them away. Yes. And I hate yes. to put it that way, but like, uh, it's true. I would rather err on the side of, Hey, I need a priest than uh, the, Oh, Oh crap. Uh, he, he's, he's already, he's already dead. Um, you know, I, I, I'd rather do that. Call, yeah. Aaron aside of on the side of safety. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, now this whole process of dying can become very scary and very confusing, especially when it comes to what's going to happen. So um, let's pretend we're at the bedside of someone who's dying and you've called a priest to come in. Well, the first thing that we're most likely going to do is we're going to try to assess the situation. Um, even if I know the person for a long time, I'm, I'm going to go in and say, okay, what's going on? You know, where are we at? Um, you know, how is the patient today? You know, how is Mrs. Smith today? Um, is her memory okay? You know, and, uh, cause that's a key. Is her memory okay? Is their memory okay? Because that's going to be kind of important here in a few minutes. 
Um, because the next thing is, is once I go and I, I go in and talk to the family and then if the person is conscious, uh, and I can talk to them, I'm going to want to know if they would like to receive the sacrament of reconciliation. And I'm going to heavily encourage that they go to the sacrament of reconciliation. And, um, you know, it's not just a recommendation. It's almost like a, no, 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 you really have to do this. And if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell kind of thing. And it's uh, granted, that's a little bit strong, but I want people to understand that. Take that opportunity for the last time that you might have to go to confession. Even if you can't remember all of your sins, especially I'm thinking about the situation recently where there was a really bad car accident here in Meadville. And ironically, I was on my first Friday calls when it was hap- when it happened and I stopped at the scene of the accident because I recognized the car and don't you know it was a parishioner. And so I get out and I, she's not looking too hot. And I said to her, do you want to go to confession? She said, Father, I can't remember. I said, I don't care. Are you sorry for all of your sins? Can you think of any of the sins? Yes, Father, I'm so sorry. Please, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. That's enough, right? That's enough of a, of a true act of contrition that I was able to give her absolution and then quickly anointed her very quickly. This is all about the span of 30 seconds I had to do this because they were moving fast. So it's the point of that in certain situations, you have more time than others, but you, you really want to offer to the people to go to confession as much as possible. Now, if someone who has Alzheimer's or dementia um, is dying, often that's not going to be a possibility. And it's not because we want to restrict any of the sacramental graces from them, but it's more about the fact of the person can't be contrite for their sins. The person can't have remorse for their sins. So we have to, you have to discern that. But the point is, is that the first thing we're going to do, kick everybody out of the room. So it's just the priest and the person hear their confession. And then if possible, invite everybody back in for the anointing of the sick. And then if, if the person, if we are lucky enough to have the Eucharist on us at the time is the, uh, viaticum and of course giving that communion all of this can be scary all of this can be scary but the biggest thing is is don't be shy or embarrassed or worry um, because we want to support you I don't know I don't know of any you know good priest that would say no I'm not going to the deathbed of someone no no, no we're gonna we're gonna go I mean like we were trained for that and it's it's a beautiful thing to be at their deathbed and never ever feel that it's too late because it's a privilege for us to visit the sick and bring the sacraments not only is it a privilege it's also a sacramental grace because of the uh, fact that it is part of the um you know visiting the sick and burying the dead these are all very important things and so um you go and you visit someone with this uh, but sometimes you don't have that opportunity to be at the death, uh, deathbed of someone or you don't find out about about it till it's too late. That's doesn't mean you can't do anything. That, you know, once someone's deceased, it's still, we still need to take care of their body. We need to bury them, right? And so that's when the sacrament, well, not the sacrament, because it's not a s- specific sacrament, but the process of a uh, Christian funeral. Now, Vince, have you ever been to a funeral and actually remember it? I think so. Okay. Do you remember much? What do you remember? So the, the last funeral that I went to, unfortunately, the uh, the priest wasn't able to make it. He had some other, I don't remember what sure. was going on, but there was a deacon. And, okay. uh, and he did, he did the, the funeral. Um, was it at a church or was it at a funeral home? It was at a church. Okay. Actually, it's okay. St. John's. St. John's, I think it is, in Gerard. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was the last one I went to. And I remember okay. uh, I was actually really pleased with, because um, here's here, the, the detail. I mean, I was trying to uh, spare the details here. Um, uh, the The deceased was a baptized Catholic. Same with the husband. They haven't been practicing in a while. None sure. of the family was Catholic. Sure. Um, maybe baptized, but not practicing whatsoever. And so it actually took some convincing uh, from me and my wife to convince the uh, 
the widower that, uh, hey, this, I don't care what the family says, this needs to happen. This needs to be a funeral in a church. Um, cause originally the family was like the, the kids were like, no, we're not doing that. We're just going to do it at the funeral home. And, um, luckily we, I, th- I think it's cause of our influence, uh, that it happened in the church. Thank, thank God. Um, but, uh, I, I remember, uh, many prayers, uh, for, uh, the soul of this woman who had passed. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that's going to be the key is like if you pay attention to the funeral liturgy, which uh, we're going to briefly go through because I know we're getting close on time. But like the thing that we want to talk about is a funeral liturgy can occur both within mass and outside of mass. But we want the funeral mass, my preference as a priest, the preference is a funeral mass, right? Um, For a Christian person. Now there's a big distinction there. We can't do a funeral in... um, the same way as a non-Christian. So if someone dies and is uh, not baptized, you can't really do a funeral for them in the same way that we would understand as a Catholic funeral mass. So we won't get into that because I'm praying that most of us here are going to be baptized before we die. But the funeral mass takes place in the church uh, because that's where we as a Christian community gathered for the worship. And so now the deceased who has received their sacraments in the church now come back to the church. And we experience in the uh, beginning rituals of the placing of the pall, the white cloth over the casket. And this white cast, this white pall, um, it's, you know, it's with the sprinkling of the holy waters reminding us back to our baptism and the uh, place that our baptism Uh, has in our lives because it is the first of all the sacraments. You can't receive any other sacrament until the baptism. So the issue is, you notice that I said the pall is placed on the casket. Well, the pall is never placed on the urn because you can't have a funeral mass with just an urn. It doesn't really count as a funeral. It does and it doesn't because what essentially it is is a mass in memorial of the person. And cremation is becoming so popular. Um, the problem is, is that you really can't pray for the body, right? You can't pray for the disposition of the body. You can pray for the soul, but you can't pray for the disposition of the body because it's already been dispo- uh, deposed of, disposed of. Now we're just going to put it into its final resting place, hopefully. So you'll want to, as a good Christian Catholic, you'll want to make sure that you are not cremated until after the funeral, right? So first off, just get buried because if you ever learn what they do to, and I'm hoping on that, that, that YouTube channel, does she talk about like what happens for cremation? Oh yeah. Good. So (laughs) I want everybody to go and watch that. I, I really do. Um, I want you to talk to a funeral director and I want you to talk to a mortician. Um, and I want you to talk to someone who embalms the bodies. And I want you to learn all this stuff because it's important. So wait until after the funeral to be cremated. Um, but watching uh, her, watching her stuff makes me not even want to be embalmed. Yeah. I, I'd I rather know. just, I'd rather just decompose instead of like live as this, gelatin for 20 years before I finally decompose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the modern way of dealing with dead bodies, that's a whole nother story for another day. Cause <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking about all the retorts that I'm going to hear from all my friends that are morticians. Like you shouldn't have said that because now we're going to lose business and you don't need, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, don't worry. I don't think any uh, cemetery, any modern cemetery will let you be buried without being embalmed anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, there, there's a few up in Canada, but only for our friends north of the border. Um, so the important part here is that the body is, is it's supposed to um, be a final remembrance of the deceased. And uh, the way that we remember them is in their body. Now, granted, we don't see them in the casket. We only see the closed casket with the pall over top, but it gives a final understanding and a, fi- a closure, a very important closure for the person. Um, we go through the liturgy and the entire liturgy of the mass is focused on God. The entire funeral ritual and rites are focused on God and the hope we have uh, given through the resurrection of Christ. And so the important thing is 
we are not talking about the deceased and saying, oh, now they're an angel in heaven and they were just the bee's knees and just so wonderful and they were so sweet even though they were evil and nasty. Um, so when it comes to that, uh, we have to pay attention to, oops, well, see, I knock stuff over all the time. We need to um, pay attention to uh, the actual happenings in the funeral liturgy, right? So we're going to go through the funeral liturgy talking to God and talking to God uh, about our prayers for that person because the entire idea of the funeral isn't to say, um, well, now they're in heaven resting forever. It's so that there might be some um, closure, right? So for instance, an, one of the opening prayers that's available to us is almighty ever living God. It is our certain faith that your son who died on the cross was raised up from the dead. The first fruits of all who have fallen asleep grant that through this mystery, your servant who has gone to their place of rest in Christ may share in the joy of his resurrection. So we're asking God for a good for this person, but we're not focusing on the good the person did. What we're focusing on is the person and their need for God's mercy. You know, in the intercession, we talk about in the baptism, uh, the, the deceased received the light of Christ. We now ask you to scatter darkness and lead them over the waters of death. Um, our brother or sister was nourished by the a nurse at the table of the Savior, please welcome them into the the halls of the heavenly banquet. Um, many friends and family members have gone before us marked with the sign of faith and await the kingdom. We ask that you hear our prayers for them and grant them a place of rest. So all of the prayers of the funeral liturgy are for that deceased person and for all of our deceased brothers and sisters. You know, before we go our separate ways here at the final commendation, let us take leave of our dear brother, for may our farewell express our affection for them. May it ease our sadness and strengthen our hope for one day we shall joyfully greet them again when the love of Christ, which conquers all things, destroys even death itself. So the whole point is that when we are, um, the whole point of this entire funeral liturgy, everything is about talking about the good that God has done in their life. I'm knocking everything over tonight. Way to go. Uh, the good that God has done in their life, not the good that they have done. And so this is when a major thing comes up that I stress heavily, that eulogies are not part of the funeral liturgy. They, they don't fit because a eulogy ends up becoming all about how wonderful the person was. You know, I remember the story of grandma when she was um, in, uh, you know, she was in rehab for her third stroke and uh, in rehab for her third stroke, the rehab technician asked her, now, Sophie, what would you do if you were in a burning building? And uh, Grandma Sophie looked at the uh, the technician and said, well, I don't know, crap a brick. Um, funny <laughs> story. Yes, but not something we should really be saying at mass. Like it doesn't fit. Uh, th that reminds me of a... Uh, prominent Catholic, uh, organization. I'm not going to bring up the name, uh, pretty controversial. Uh, but one of the main hosts on it, uh, I was watching a video of his on, on death and purgatory was no one. No, your, um, your dead relative is not an angel. And two, um, you know, you're going to go up there and, you know, in the eulogy, you're going to, you know, say, oh, yeah, Uncle Tom loved to uh, to cut the grass. That was his, his biggest pastime. So, you know, he right now he's he's mowing the lawn in heaven. That's that's what he's doing. And you're no, doing you're doing the guy no disservice. You're doing the guy all everything but disservice, I, I suppose. Uh, yeah, you should be yeah. praying for his soul. That right. is the whole point of this is yeah. to, uh, you know, if if. He's not going to hell. He's he's on his way to heaven, but he's probably in some sort of purgation that we need to pray for him. Um, yeah. And, and I, th I think with the eulogy, we, we hear too much of this. Oh, well, they're an angel now. And and uh, or or oh, they're in heaven uh, doing what they love to do best, knitting or whatever it is that they're doing. Well, wh who are you to presume that? Um, yeah. And, and I wish, go ahead. I just wish we had more time to talk about this. But because, you know, I, I just have so many problems with 
um, with the eulogy. And especially like you said, uh, oh, they're an angel in heaven. And I mentioned that before. Oh, they're an angel in heaven. No, no, they're no, no, actually. That's not how that works. (laughs) No. You know, angels are a completely different spiritual entity than than humans, and the human soul is different from the angelic soul. Um, we'll talk about and, it. Actually, I, that sounds like a great podcast episode on angels yeah. and the different hierarchy of angels and how they're different from humans and all and all these things and how a because human can never be an angel and an angel can never be a human. Yeah, and it's a beautiful thing. Actually, it's a good thing because you know what you become when you get into heaven. You don't become an angel. Not only do you become a saint. But you become a king or a queen because what does God say to us? You shall become a king or a queen in the uh, kingdom of heaven. And and that's a beautiful thing, right? We can't really understand it in the idea of a saint insofar as as we only know saints as people in heaven. And they always seem to be pictured with, well, actually, no. If you think about it, no, no good picture of a saint, even an icon, would ever depict a saint with angel wings. Oh, no, and I've never seen wings, at least a good one. Angel no. wings are always separate right? Angel wings are always separate to an angel, like St. Michael, the archangel. So they're, they're different. They're different entities entirely, different creatures entirely. So we get something greater. We get something greater than angels because angels are eternal servants. Whereas we become kings and queens in heaven with our father, our father. Remember, we say that in the prayer, our father. And if our father is the king, we become princes and princesses, to become kings and queens. And so that's, at least I hope for some that would open up the understanding that no, we don't become angels. We become something greater. See how fired I get up about this. And I, I, get so I forget, I forget who said it. Uh, I really forget who said it. And I, th- I think it, it could be a doctor of the church. I'm not sure, but they, but they did say that um, if angels could have envy, if they could feel envy, they would towards yeah. us. Um, because of what we get to experience in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Angels don't get to receive Eucharist, right? Angels don't get to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ into them. They get to experience the effects of it, but they don't get to receive it into them. That's something that we have over the angels. Not that we should hold it as an, ha ha, look at us. We got this better than you. No, no, no. But we have something greater that they don't have. So, Please, if you know anybody that's saying that, oh, grandma's an angel in heaven now, no, because that means she lost her ability of free will. And that's something that we have innate to us that angels don't. So, uh, yes. All right. With hey, that being we're, said, the whole we're, we're over an hour. Liturgy, so let's wrap this we're up. We're over an hour. But the whole point of the funeral liturgy is to be praying for the deceased soul. And I hope that um, one thing that you could take from this episode is take some time to actually come to understand death right? Take some time to understand death and maybe even take some of the stress off of your family. Take the time to plan your own funeral. It's not a bad thing to do. Have it with your will. Everybody should have a will at some point in their life. Make sure your funeral is with your will and let your uh, the funeral home know. You know, make pre-plans. Yeah. Shout out to my mom for doing all that ahead of time. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's still alive and well and she's probably listening to this. So shout out to you, mom. Uh, I know you've taken care of all of this and you even have your plot and everything. So I, I thank you. Cause that'll be, if, if, you know, if I outlive you, that's going to be, uh, easy. I think she's that you do outlive her no I, matter I, what. I'm sure she does. And I hope yeah. so too. I hope for a long, long life, but, uh, but you never know, like we said, so yeah. memento mori. Memento mori. Don't worry. Death is not the end, just the beginning. That is right. All right. Because we have a whole nother week of talking about death. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. Well, you bring Cassandra in. You might have to drag her in for that one since it's about marriage and death. Yeah, we, we might be able to do that. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, you can find us on EncounterMercy.com and follow us everywhere that you can. And please subscribe to the channel. Until next time.